The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is sponsored by Steeped Coffee. Steeped Coffee is a new brewing method that combines specialty craft coffee into a single serving bag. You don't need a machine. You don't have to make a mess. All you have to do is add hot water wherever you go. Each steep pack is individually sealed. It's nitrogen flush, so it stays fresh. And it's got this special full immersion filter. And the filter is ultrasonic sealed, which means it's sealed together with no glue or no staples. So there's no weird stuff floating around in your coffee. Steeped is a benefit B Corp. They ethically source all their coffee. Their packaging is fully compostable. And they believe that business should be done without compromise. You can get your hands on steeped coffee packs at steepedcoffee.com. That's S-T-E-E-P-E-D, coffee.com. Asking your local retail stores to start carrying Steeped or having your favorite roastery reach out and kind of get in touch. If you're in Santa Cruz, come on by any of the Cat and Cloud locations. We have it there for you. Basically, they're just doing their best to change the coffee industry, make your life more convenient with their pre-portioned, pre-ground innovation. So tell all your friends. Air Quality Index in Santa Cruz currently rates 120 and under, which means it's only unhealthy for those people who have respiratory issues. However, that's me. In Chico, California, where I was born and raised, not born, but raised, the air quality index is as high as it possibly goes, higher than the chart reads, which is disgusting. And the campfire is officially the worst fire in U.S. history. There's some gnarly facts there. What's the campfire? Campfire! Do you all know? Happened actually in my hometown. My dad lost his home. That's what it's called. That's the name of the That's fire. The, the fire, yeah. The campfire. Yeah, you want to hear some gnarly it's things? Kind of a there's some, there's some hard fire. facts about it. Well, it started at a, an actual place called um, something camp. So they call it the campfire. Okay. All right. Fact You check. ready for this? As of 11-15, that's uh, November 15th. Fact number one. Super gnarly. 63 deaths, deadliest wildfire ever. Really? Yeah. 631 missing people still. 52,000 people evacuated. 8,650 single family homes destroyed. 160 multifamily, aka ex- apartments destroyed. 260 commercial structures destroyed. 141,000 acres, 40% only contained, 5,473 people working on putting out the fire right now. That is staggering numbers. I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah. I knew that the fire was that large because they did like the comparison online where they showed like the whole Bay Area in the context of the fire. It's just like purely anecdotal. Like we had all those fires last year. Oh, right. And I was like, ooh, I should maybe get a mask or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, ah, it'll be gone. And now the fire is further away, and it's the smoke is stronger than ever. I did buy a mask. Yeah, I bought a air purifier for the house because even indoors it was just kind of kind of fucking nasty. Kind of weird. Yeah, it was bad. It got weird for a bit. Like I went outside the the other morning, and it was warm because the smoke layer had like trapped all of the all of the was heat. That in. Yesterday, uh, or no, what, this or was yesterday like for a, us. This is like a few days ago. Okay, but it was interesting because. You know, if you know Santa Cruz, it's like breezy and crisp in the morning. And yeah. I was like, oh, yeah. So, I mean, pretty gnarly. If uh, we'll we'll end up doing some sort of form of uh, gathering funds for donation. But if you happen to want to do something, it hits close to home for me because a lot of my childhood places, including my school, the whole city that I did eighth grade through senior year has get this 14 homes left in it. That's weird. Total. That's really weird. Yeah. And I don't know how many commercial structures, but not many. When people's schools burn down, that's kind of like a big deal. It's weird, huh? It's like a weird emotional thing. It's never happened to me, but I've listened to a couple people describe it and the emotional reaction that they had to their school just disappearing. 
I don't know what it'll feel like because I haven't gone back, you know, but it's, it's pretty gnarly. Like, I think when I go back, it'll hit me extra hard. I've seen pictures of my family just went and swam under this covered bridge that was like 150 years old. And it's like a swimming spot that I went to. And it, it was one of the things that burned down. But what's weirder is most of my friends' parents lived there still. So, you know, it's, it's, if there's only 13 houses left in the whole town, pretty much everybody I know lost their home. Or their childhood home. I bet when you see it, it'll feel like if someone took out one of those like old picture books like from the 80s or 90s with all your childhood in it and fucking burned it right in front of you. Yeah. And you had to watch like, like all your memories just ugh. turn into ash. It's going to be very weird. I'm going to pull up real quick. That, uh, if Yeah. So we're going to do something. We've got some ideas. Um, but if you happen to want to donate something, www.nvcf.org is one of the best ones. And it's a specific one to the campfire. There's also shout outs. And then by shout outs, I mean, you know, thoughts and all the prayers and all that to uh, the Malibu fire as well. That one's been gnarly, but I think that one is um, less destructive by a little bit. <laughs> it's still terrible, though. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to be biased because it was my hometown. But anyway, uh, yeah, and if you're local, dude, like... Uh, Are you local, dude? There's not a lot we can do, but we'll figure out something. There's, little, it's, little long, it's a long play. Yeah, little, it's a real long play. Don't feel unempowered. Don't feel we unempowered. We can help. We can help. We're not going to save the world by ourselves, but no, a lot of GoFundMe pages as well. And then a lot of people are accepting like Venmo donations and they go straight. Then you don't get quite taxed as much. So, um, I've had a few for my dad and some people. So if you happen to want to talk to me about it, hit me up, but I feel weirder taking money from myself and then passing it on than I do for a GoFundMe. But anyway, that's a different story. <laughs> Give me some money. Yeah. It feels like, <laughs> and all of a sudden Jared got a new house. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not what would happen but anyway. jared's dad is balling yeah, right now jared's <laughs> he, he will His not house be burned down and now it's a mansion good news yeah the he got a place to rent in orland so he had to move away and uh it's it's yeah there's gonna be a long play long play long play but he is gonna move back to his original plot of land and I think they'll rebuild paradise. People are saying maybe they won't rebuild paradise because the infrastructure is so bad. And I'm like, there's so many people up there who love it there. They'll rebuild. I wonder what displacement looks like too. Like how many people lived in paradise and can surrounding area handle that influx? It wasn't right. a big town. But 30,000. 30,000. So there's yeah. basically 30,000 people floating around. That's They're the way to go part. live somewhere. Yeah. A lot of them are like in um, camping in like the Walmart parking lot and then Walmart needs to get back to business. So Walmart's going to have to kick them out soon and weird stuff like that. And Chico's like the biggest, closest town over yeah. there. So 10 miles. Chico's about to be like 30,000 people larger, yeah. which that's interesting. Yeah. Well, it's like, yeah. Do they even have the housing for that? That's what I'm saying. It's just like a whole thing. Like, where do they go? Basically all the surrounding towns in Chico, like Orland, that's where my dad's actually going to live, which is like 25 miles uh, it's basically close to I-5, which nobody on the internet knows what I'm talking about. But <laughs> maybe a new metropolis will sprout up <laughs> exactly. from the ash. Like like all these little towns on the on the diaspora will come together and build. Maybe there'll be one skyscraper. Maybe. <laughs> it'll be like Dubai. California. <laughs> the one Dubai skyscraper. The United Paradise Emirates. Oh, my gosh. It'll anyway, be, it'll be man. super tight. They're going to, yeah, it'll be an opportunity to actually make, I mean, Paradise was pretty dated and spread, so they actually might be able to like turn it into a town that has young, new life again. That has things. Yeah, but it's too soon to make, I'm like that opportunist who's like, oh, now it'll actually, we could build a downtown there and all In this stuff. In 20 years, yeah. it'll be finished. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, starting off with some serious stuff. What are you reading, dude? I'm reading The Coaching Habit right now. Uh, well, I actually am reading like five books, and part of the problem with me is uh, attention deficit disorder. <laughs> so I like little snippets of a lot of books. However, I think I need to I need to cut it off where I'm at right now and finish where I'm where Just I'm plow I'm through at. one. Yeah, so I'm re- reading a mindfulness book um, that specifically has to do with. Uh, Attacking ADD <laughs> with mindfulness. In order to fo- solve my ADD, All I'm my adding backpack. more books that talk about ADD. So I'm reading 13 ADD books yes. at once. <laughs> it's not going well. It's not going well at all. <laughs> no, that that one's good. Okay, here, I'm going to open up my book. You're, tell them what you're reading because I know that that's like a long, big book that I'd love to get into next. Yeah. Actually, I'm, next after the base camp book. Next after. Maybe we'll just like swap. Yeah, I need a swapper. We'll do, we'll do a book swap. So I'm reading a book called Leaders, Myth, and Reality. It's by General Stanley McChrystal. He wrote Team of Teams. And I listened to a podcast with him on it, and I was intrigued. And basically, he set out to kind of um, profile 13 different leaders. And he was thinking at the beginning that he was going to figure out, like, okay, like, what are some traits that make good leaders leaders? And let's dig into, like, a diverse group of people who all do these different things, and we'll figure out like what leadership is. And what he found out when he started researching was, hmm, there's actually not like one, two, or even a set of defining things that make good leaders good leaders or make effective leaders leaders. And the book kind of, it kind of explores the, the gap between the reality of what the leader was like in real life and like the myth or the legend that arises of that leader. And it also explores some of the things of like maybe that we attribute to the leader's success. And really most of the, most of the time that's an incomplete picture of what happened. And there's, there's way more than there's way more that's going on. And the the thing that was the most interesting to me was we've talked about Disney a lot before. But he profiled good old Walt, and he also profiled Coco Chanel. And they're both like really just big kind of wild personalities, which um, for all intents and purposes, they were kind of grading to work for. They were micromanagers. They were aggressive. They weren't thankful to their employees. They were a couple of people who definitely put their mission and their vision before their people. Like their company, their brand was the most important thing, and their people were secondary to that. But because they were so ahead of their time and such visionaries and could articulate that people wanted to follow them regardless. Right. If you wanted to be on the cutting edge of animation during that time, you worked for Walt Disney and it didn't matter if he walked into the office, looked at all your frames, told you that half of them were bullshit. You need to redraw it. It takes six months. And when you did everything perfect, he didn't say anything to you. That was like best case scenario. Yeah, he was gnarly with the animation game. <laughs> he was just he was just nuts, and that was that was his magic. That was that was his that. That's why people wanted to work for him. Right? They didn't want to work for him because he was like, "Oh, I'm such a nice guy," right. and like, "Hey, come on in, like, gonna pat you on the back." And it's like, no, I want to be a part of this bigger thing. And there, there's so many things that are crossing in there. Mic drop. Mic drop. On <laughs> Mike drop. That was a soft drop. That are. Um, like the the period of time had something to do with it too like figuring right. out he was he was figuring out new technologies in the context of making cartoons making animation that perfectly lined up with his vision what he was doing at that time one and of the ultimate innovators of 
history. So yeah, so if you're if you're an effective leader, you probably have something that makes you really special. Yeah. But you're also probably at the right place at the right time. Yeah. And it's just a combination. With the right concept. With the right con that's what I'm saying. Yeah. It's just like that, um, you know, if he was born twenty or thirty years later, maybe nothing from him. Yeah, I mean you if, know? He, if he was born now <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, totally different world. Totally different world. You can argue that people like that will like find a way, but not the same way though. Not maybe not Disneyland sort of way. Yeah. So it's interesting. And it also looked at his effectiveness in other areas of the company. You know, when their company grew from, there's the pre-Snow White and the post-Snow White. Right. So pre-Snow White, you've got a small animation studio, 30 animators. He's intimately involved with every step of the process. And then after Snow White, which was a huge hit, they have a lot of money. They moved to Burbank. Now they have like 130, 160 employees. And he was not effective as a leader in that context yeah. because people couldn't be with him. People couldn't touch him and like feel his energy or whatever. And people became like bummed out. And they're like, who is this fucking guy who like comes in acting like he's like the king of everything. Yeah. And like, I don't understand. They don't understand what makes him so special. They don't understand why his like insanity directly led to the success of their earlier work. Mm -hmm. And for all intents and purposes, he sucked as a leader and was depressed until he started working on Disneyland. Yep. Which coincidentally, he took the same amount of people that were at the first animation studio. He took his top 30 people and like, Hey, we're going to work on this. Like, really incredible ground breaking breaking passion project yes and then he came to life and then he was back yeah and yeah. like yeah i think that was arguably the time where he became more of a people person too it's like it gave him life again but there was a lot of depression in him dude he would take like those crazy soul seeking like disappear for a couple months and just be like i don't know what to do with my life <laughs> sort of things and yeah is a he yeah the the most i think important thing to realize is that all the leaders in this world are also totally people with the same issues as you and that's what's gnarly a lot of people yeah like turn them into demigods yeah and, and that's like not a reality it's not a reality and no. i think more of them than we'd like to admit are tortured probably <laughs> in, they're probably in some way shape or form and I not mean, everybody super knows jobs happy. was and i i think he's He's not really making a case for anything except for, hey, if you want to be successful, it's not as simple as be like, cool, like Walt did this or Steve Jobs did this or, you know, right. He profiles like Harriet Tubman, Albert Einstein, like he's got a pretty diverse group of people from like all time. And it's all kind of the same thing to where it's like, yeah, it's not just like copy paste. I'm going to be like you. You know, it's like a really fun way to kind of look at this in literally an artistic tangent is that movie uh midnight in paris oh i don't think i've seen that well it's mark mark gessler and i talk about it. it's one of those movies that i can just throw on over and over it's a oh gosh who's that really eccentric weird dude who kind of talks like uh he's the director of all the weird movies he also is not the best guy <laughs> either because <laughs> he got into the sexual harassment thing back in the day he's super old woody allen there you oh go. yeah got you um, but the movie is awesome because essentially the premise is Owen Wilson's like this nostalgic artist and every night at whatever midnight, somehow where he's at it, he gets picked up and taken back in time. And so he meets all these old artists like, uh, Hemingway and all these people, but the whole thing is, and Picasso and all these just amazing writers and artists. And it 
shows their personalities kind of in the realities of who they were on the side and how freaking weird they were and how like their relationships were all effed up and they would all just have this focus on art. But anyway, it's always fun for me to go to watch because you transported back in time and see these actors portraying these people and all their weird ass quirks and their major imperfections and depression and alcoholism and sexual shit and all this stuff. It's like such a good fun and it's a fun movie. It's not dark, but that's the whole twist on it. It's just like all these people that are make huge marks on history. It often comes with a pretty large price internally in some way, shape or form, or they're just, they struggle. Yeah. The thing that I'm finding for myself is that it's, it's almost giving me a little bit of freedom. Cause when, when I read books like that and let's, I think Disney, like Walt Disney specifically was powerful for me because like the era that I grew up in, like you're familiar Same. with all the characters and right. all the cartoons or whatever. And, there's that image, and but then a lot of his personality traits, which are kind of seemingly negative, I share some of those, mm. like that intense attention to detail and almost like a like an aggressive way, almost so, like OCD, like you can't see past. Yeah, it. it's where I'm like, dude, what do you do? Like, why? What's right? Do this better, and they're like, all there. this is wrong. Like, what are you doing? Yeah, and just seeing how someone who most people think is like, oh, he's the most kind and gentle, caring man can like be effective still as a leader if he's in the place where he's supposed to be and have people who like want to follow him and want to be a part of what he's about. And he doesn't have to be like a full blown saint. He's not like some, mm-hmm. you know, otherworldly, like he's not an angel. He's not like right. a ghost or something. It's just like, he's a human. Yeah. He's all fucked up. Like everybody, like everybody, <laughs> like everybody else. No, so I think that's, that's a really important thing to realize especially for up and coming leaders when, you know, when we talk about that with our staff, it's like getting people to recognize that they have qualities that are really, really impactful for the future, even though they're not you or myself or Charles or Kristen or Tanner or Nicole or all these people who are already in leadership. Like they have the ability to be the same because we are not ultimately with the exception of those potential gifts that allow us to be the people who made cat and cloud or whatever else we do they can have those same kind of gifts as well. And they just have to tune into it and want it and step into it. And that's weird because a lot of people are just like, well, I'm not that kind of person. And some aren't. Some aren't. But, but there's they like, are for their own thing. Whatever that is. Whatever that is. And that's not for me to decide or no. Right. And that's where I was like, man, I can actually bring probably some more of my personality to the table and have that resonate with people more than trying to be someone else. Because there's... I agree. Big there, time. There's yeah. like a big... Um, like a big pressure because we do what we do and we want what we want, which is to change the way people do business and to have people come to work feeling empowered and excited that they can like make a difference in the world and not just clock in and clock out. There's a pressure to be like, Oh, I'm always going to be like as nice as possible, which I think works for some people, but doesn't work for everyone else. Um, I'm struggling for a, a tangible example. Okay. I, I have, this is like, oh, yeah. this is like super minor. So, I was funneling Tanner all of these presentations, all the stuff that we ramped up for the employee development suite, yeah. which we'll talk about that EDS, on a later baby. podcast because it's going to be the most amazing thing ever. And one of those pieces was the meeting um, PowerPoint or keynote that I made for like that 26th meeting right. where we updated our vision and values and all that stuff. And I put it all in the Basecamp folder, sent it over to him. 
and I, I, Tanner's got a Macintosh, and I know this. So he he hits me up. And <laughs> a Macintosh. He's got a Macintosh. It's not an Apple, I but it this. is an Apple. He's got a Mac, and he sent me a ping on Basecamp, and he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm trying to open this Keynote thing, but I don't have Keynote on my computer. So I'm like, hmm. So the nice version of which I felt like a little tension to do was to like open up my Keynote, PDF convert it, it to PDF, right. re-upload it, send it over to him. But instead, I did what I wanted to do, which I sent him a link to the App Store for Keynote because it's a free app for all Macs. <laughs> yes. And he probably actually already has it on his computer. Yeah, it's just not popping up anywhere. Yeah. And I, I think that worked really well. And I, I, some, you know, we didn't talk about it or anything. Right. But I, some people could say that like, dude, I'm asking my boss for something and he's just like cold, like blunt sending me this link like, dude, download right. it, dummy or whatever. But... Tanner knows like he knows how I operate and I think the way that that works like people resonate with that more because they're they're getting the more like vibey version of me they're like oh yeah that's just Chris that's like how he rolls and I actually like that about him yeah because we have such a we have such a balance on our leadership team yeah we're all over there's certain aspects of that that are useful in Mm -hmm. in like now I'm on a tangent but you know you're every everything that you do you're in like a training moment. You're in a coaching moment. You're yeah. in a whatever moment. And where my mind immediately goes to is diverting attention away from the goal, like playing through on something or doing like what I would call some sort of deep work. Something's going to move the needle really big. Yeah. So if I take the time out to open the thing up, convert it to PDF, blah, blah, blah. I'm basically sending the message that anytime someone asks you for something that's not in the format that they need it in, you need to fix it for them when really what I'd rather create is like, Hey, the first thing that we need to do if we need something is look like really quickly. Can I fix this myself in like a really fast and easy way? Well, and the default for most people is to just quickly ask for it to be fixed for them, but they actually won't learn that themselves and therefore won't pass on that idea to somebody else. That's what I'm saying. Right. So, So, Totally. I know Tanner's listening, so I'm not in any way trying to put Tanner on, idiot, on Tanner. blast. Tanner, what the hell, dude? <laughs> um, no, we. I think we all do that. That's like a default, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've definitely been guilty of doing the same, same thing. For I've, sure. I've been like, oh, hey, could you send me this? And they're like, dude, you, it's there. But or, the best thing for us is actually to be able to, yeah, quickly train your brain, which that, something like as simple as that doesn't take very long. So, oh, yeah, can I just Google this real quick? Yeah. Or can I search my own computer because it might just be in the in the uh, applications screen yeah. whatever yep so that's that's an example of where maybe you know six months to a year ago i would have definitely like oh my gosh i'm let me let me convert everything and like have it all have it all done or whatever right. but yeah anyway this day and age this no. day and age I mean, I think, I think that's really good. And I, I think a big place where it'll continue to come in. Well, you've got plenty of big projects, but one of the biggest places is just like in some of the specifics around coffee and education, you'll be able to just like ice it out, which is what people need that, right? There's places for everybody, right? Not only that, but I mean, in areas where you're able to just be hypercritical of something. Yeah. And I, you have to have that in the context of the people who are able to motivate which is maybe a little bit more both of us actually in different contexts for sure but like in the context of you being hypercritical i can be a little bit of a motivator to go along with that and we can team up absolutely and then in flip-flop it sometimes that's what i say when we have that balance it's like right if i was the only one there maybe it's a problem for the way everything works but 
people get a taste of both of us and that works that works really well love the taste love the taste and i think the idea of being able to work on like work in your zone to where it's like i love being hypercritical i don't necessarily want to be the one to put all the rough stuff together not that it's that important but it's not where like my zone is where the mugs? Jared's searching for coffee. They're right oh, in front right, of you in the clear. Uh, uh, they're, the, too, they're too up. It's the one that you can see. <laughs> Shut up, Chris. <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the one that you can see. Commercial break. If you need a coffee I subscription, Cat and Cloud coffee subscription. That's the one. You should try it. It's you, getting better every it's day. It's getting better every Look, year. Look, I needed a sip. I needed a sip of coffee because the AQI, that's the air quality index. It's low, like I low, mentioned, low. it's pretty low. <laughs> so i'm feeling better now i just needed to swap it down the throat uh hey yeah. who gave you this coffee dude somebody sent you this coffee oh yeah that's from uh that's the be still cody subscription which is our brother steve <laughs> which be my, still cody which my wife um loves to affectionately call good dog cody <laughs> that's what it, oh yeah she sit, calls it good sit, cody sit boo boo sit wait yeah good dog. good dog there is something about a dog and a cody on the tv well there's uh Hit the box that the subscription comes in also has a dog, three-legged dog on it. Oh, is it's, Cody a three-legged cool. dog for real? I bet he is. I don't know. I didn't she, ask he, him. She, I Herm. Herm self. Yeah. I, the doggy. I'm not sure. I think it's just art. But it's a good every, story. every box comes with a mixtape that's sick. Oh, that's that Different one. Different color yeah, mixtape. Totally. Yeah. The coffee's good. It is good. It's a Kenyan coffee. He so shout coffee, out to y'all. He roasts coffee well. Yeah. Great job, you guys. Gals and dolls. Be still. I actually saw that we were sharing a retail shelf. I think it was in canada somewhere maybe yeah but we were both guest roasters it was pretty That's tight. cool yeah the boxes look good together and it's in there in bc uh, yeah he's in Vancou- vancouver island and, and you and th- did not go there when you were on your trip to corollaville <laughs> no we went to victoria but um <laughs> oh, we did grab dinner that's right we got we got to hang did you um tell everybody on the internet that you got a corolla yeah i finally i've been talking about it got okay. my 1985 okay. toyota corolla AE86. Yeah, you did. Thing is amazing. That's freaking fantastic. It's so funny. And it's pretty quick. I mean, quick's not the term. Quick yeah, for its time. Yeah, it's quick for its time. Right. It's got a different motor, obviously, than the standard Corolla. It's really light. It's rear wheel drive. It's like, it's super fun. It like makes you smile. Feels like you're driving a go kart. Is it like the Nissan Stanza that I grew up with? <laughs> <laughs> Probably pretty cool. <laughs> the Nissan Stanza. <laughs> There's was a, the Pinto Coupe of the slightly richer than the Pinto Coupe person? A lot of things happening. We had a Pinto when I was growing up. That you was, actually had a Pinto? Yeah, that was. Um, I remember it vaguely, and I see it in pictures. It I was. Have to look at a stanza. Sorry. It was on. a yellow Pinto, and I remember we bought our who fancy car, which was a Ford Tempo. We got a Mazda six two six. When my brother was born, we had to ditch the Pinto, but we rolled the Pinto for like a year. I think it was like my mom and my dad and myself and my little baby brother were somehow driving around in a yellow pinto with just ready to One explode at any most moment dangerous cars wow this is really what the car we a had freaking like? all the time let's see that thing uh, i'm trying to find okay i'm guessing it's probably closest to it let me pop up a good picture replica. yeah i'm trying to get the i feel like it looked better than this when i was little but probably well, didn't. i mean i was little perspective was different i mean it honestly looks just like a, oh that's a nissan violet that's a lie i want a stanza <laughs> Well, it looks pretty hag, <laughs> to be honest with you. Where's one? I feel like I'm not seeing any. There's a stanza. I mean, Look at that nugget. 
That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, that's, that's like a, a pretty good looking '80s car. It was, yeah. It honestly looks like a ghetto version of like a whatever an it's Audi like a, or a Mazda. It's or like something. a super hood ass Honda. Kind of looks like a Ford Escort. <laughs> it's the nobody car. <laughs> it's like, who are you? Oh, this is actually the one we have. Though the, there it is. This one is sicker. Let's make the most. We had the hatchback. Car. Well, let's see. This one has actually got some wheels. Oh, that thing's tight. Yeah, dude. that thing's actually. It looks not like bad. the old Audi A4 Quattro, exactly. the original one. Yeah, or that like a sick. yeah, like a Saab wannabe. It's all blocked out. Yeah, dude, that's that the actual one we had. I'm remembering it now. That thing's pretty tight. Why? We just tangent and hard. But you what know are what? you Screw reading, you guys? What are you reading, though? <laughs> you know what? I actually don't have the best books in my backpack because two of them are at home. So, but anyways, I'm reading. You're reading slowly the coaching getting through book. the coaching habit is actually by Michael Stainer. I pretty much think that could be a game changer that's going to take a lot of internal work though and like you haven't unpacked I think it I'm all i'm gonna yet. have to oh dude i'm gonna have to re unpack and practice every chapter and that's one i think you'd have to sit with but i, I i'm a pretty big believer in that one i think in a similar way that you were feeling about the base camp book i think it'll be like that for me and maybe the combination of the two might be just hot fire I, um anyway i really like that you use the word practice Oh, it has to be because practiced. that's something I think that a lot of people don't pick up on because you can read all day. You can read all day. You can yeah. close the book, put it away, and that brings awareness and does pretty much nothing for you if you don't find ways to put these things into action. I kind of struggle with people who like they assume when I read a book that I do it the same way they do. So they'll read it and they'll be like, whatever. <laughs> and not and not like in a negative. I'm saying I'm over exaggerating that response. But the response will be like, "Yeah, I read it too. It's it's cool, but like now what?" And I'm like, "That's kind of the point. Is you have the whole book needs to be for you to decide now what and start practicing what those now what's are." And the reason I'm saying it like that is almost every book that I'll mention to somebody specifically has to do with something that I've implemented in either my life or something that I've put towards our organization that has given fruit to it, to me, to it, to you who work with and or around me in some way, shape or form and has given it meat and potatoes in life. And so that work, however, however that is for you, I think you need to be able to take a book and read it and really dissect those portions of it and work them into your life, which is different um, the practice is the hard part, I guess is what I should say. It's, it's different than just reading through it and being like, that was really meaningful. It's taking portions of those things, reading back through them and practicing making a habit, which one of the cooler things at the beginning of this book is, yo, before you can even be good at this, you need to start understanding how habits work, which there's a lot of other books about that. And they actually refer you and they say, maybe you should also read this book about creating new habits because Which, is it the Charles Duhigg, like Duhigg's power of habit or yeah, whatever. I think that's one of the ones that, yes, hundred yeah. percent. That's one. And, um, cause 45% of our lives, whether we like it or not, our habit subconsciously already formed. And that is a staggering number considering 45% of your day is not consciously considered if that is a true number, which it is based on science. That book is so interesting and that they chronicle the study of oh, now I'm forgetting half the story. Did you, did you read that one? Yeah, I have it. If you, you want to borrow it. it. Yeah, yeah I'd like to. Um, but there's this dude and I can't remember if it was a brain surgery thing or a trauma thing, but an older gentleman who he basically started losing his memory. There was something wrong with a certain part of his brain and he had the unfortunate situation where he had to move to a different house in a different neighborhood. And he, he basically couldn't go outside because he would just like 
you know, he would be gone. Yeah. Wander and away. through like building these certain habits, like he would, he would like get up, go walk like a, a certain path with someone and he would walk with his wife every day, like the same way, come back. And one day he just ended up doing it by himself, mm. made his whole like walking loop, came back home, went through the door, like went inside, did his thing. But if you asked him, there's there's a difference between like what was triggering his brain to do that and what part of his brain was navigating that versus what he knew. So they were studying him and they would be like, midway through his walk and they're like where where's your house and he's just like no idea i don't know yeah like which which way is it to get home he's like no clue <laughs> like but just kept walking like couldn't answer any questions regarding like where he lived what his address was if he was even on his street or not right but he was able to do basic functions and like have this life just purely based on the habits that he had built right because those take up like like you said, there's like a huge portion of our brain or what we do that's driven by habit building. It's so crazy. I probably butchered that story, but you that's, get the idea. No, that's, yeah. I mean, I get it because it's just like the repetition of the movement created that neural network of he has no idea specifically being able to call out in words what he's doing, but he's doing it. Yes. And, and, it, that's, uh, and, it's, and it's accurate too. It's accurate because right. our brains like want to save as much energy as possible. Right. So anything that we can just kind of basically categorize as a habit, it means we don't have to think about it. Like you don't have to get up and think like, man, am I going to brush my teeth this morning? I don't know if I really want to. Like you you just like, yeah, I got up and I brushed my teeth because that's what I do freaking every day. Yeah. You don't have to run through that processing. Mm -hmm. And like how you do it. Yeah. The whole like, thing. What does it work? Put like, the toothpaste on. Put the, on, tooth put the water and then the thing Dude. and then the cheat. Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating thing. And I think a lot of the times, which it's good for people to be able to refer books and, and to take the time like you and I and Alex and the squad who are really interested in reading to go through them and then offer them. Because I think another challenge people have is automatically assuming they know more than they do. And that's something that guilty. I mean, sa same, <laughs> yeah. same. But I also think that like, unfortunately, this part is annoying to me. Like with age and time, you realize how little you know and how much more there is to gain. And so, yeah, like you and I probably both in the last, whatever, call it five years ago compared to now, we thought we had a lot more figured out than we did. And then you go through these books and there's all these revelationary moments. Revelationary, I hope is the correct term. But yeah, you have these moments of you're like, oh man, I, it's almost like little bridges to get over those gaps that you are like, oh, those are just really hard to get over because, and you make up your own reason. And then you hear some wisdom from all these people in different worlds and you're like, oh, I could try that. And then it works. And for me, I have this, this issue with people who will read something or like pop open a book and read a portion of it and be like, Oh man, yeah, that probably wouldn't work. And I'm like, like out of that's, context, that's like, an like out of context practice. statement, out of practice, out of, out of ability to have an open mind. And it's so kind of painful for me to think that people could miss out on like opportunity and, and optimization of their life. And exactly that, like keeping those calories of thought and process as low as possible for the things that aren't important and distracting and being able to like learn from a book practice, which takes calories for the time being. And then all of a sudden, man, the difference between the output of exertion 
from now where prior to practice is like 80%, it drops to like 35% because of these new things you've learned. Yeah, it's just running in the background. Like, this is a part of me now. Yeah, and I don't don't know if there's a way to to get people to, I mean, talking about it is half of it, but to get things like that, these concepts to sink in for people is their own process, unfortunately. And you just, you know, it's like telling somebody how important something is when you're sitting with how important it is and then being like, yeah, it probably is. I mean, part of it, it's part of it's time. Like you talked about, yeah. and part of it has to be trust. Like, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. part of it has to be like, man, even if I don't, even if I glance at this and I think like, this is total bullshit, there's this level of like, well, I trust Jared and his position and I res- respect him and right. like, what he's trying to do. So I'm going to consider it with an open mind. Yeah. And I think that's like th- really all you can hope for because it's, totally. you know, you go through this thing to where it's like when you're a teenager, you think you've got it all figured out and you're like, then you turn 25 and you're like, Oh man, I didn't have it all figured out, but I've got it all figured out now. And then you turn 30 and then the same thing happens. And then eventually you realize, Oh, I'm actually never going to have it all figured out. I don't know way more than I'll ever know. And that's okay. And I can look at learning just like I look at anything else. And I think, I think I I could tell why it's off putting for me and why I would shut down ideas because by accepting another idea is true, I would have to enter like into my mind that like, I don't know about that. And I'm somehow mm. like not smart. I'm dumb or like I'm, I'm right. less than or whatever. And that hurts my ego and I'm not down for that. Whereas it's like, if you look at it like anything else, like, Oh, like I'm going to get in shape. Like I'm going to exercise. I'm going to go for a run or whatever. Right. Like no one has a problem with that. No one has a problem reconciling that. Like, you know, if you want some level of fitness, you got to work for it. You're going to suck at first and then you're going to get better over time. And then eventually you'll achieve like some stable level of fitness and then you can still go up from there. Yeah. But it's not like attacking like the core of who you are. Dude. No, I feel you. But like mental capacity is like in its own different zone. Yeah. And that, that trust concept is definitely, I think a big part of it. The other part is that whole pre that prejudgment thing. So, you know, you step back and you look at me as like, sometimes an overseller optimist, you know, <laughs> yeah. who brings a lot totally. of, so all I'm saying is like, <clears throat> you have people who identify with your personality more than others, right? For sure. So like Tanner's like a, not a mini version of me, but optimism and things like that. He's an easy one for me to convince to try something because he trusts the motive and he also is on the same energy level. Whereas Kristen, who also can trust the motive, she does not, enjoy as much that overly optimistic positive like she's more and that's good for percentages of the job percentages parts of the job but it also is harder for me to convince her to read the same book as tanner and she'll like she approaches with more skepticism which is maybe a little more like you that's closer to where i would normally find myself at although that's like yeah but i have this I feel like I have, and it's totally a blessing for me, is the ability to see past things like that that might annoy me. So like, I, I will not pretend to, to think that I am not annoying to some people, even if they believe in me and like me at times, which is great and fine because that's life. But what's cool to me and I feel like is a blessing is that I can see past that and I'll be like, dude, this person is whatever telling me about this book and this learning process, but they're, they're like the most annoying person or whatever, something I disagree with, but I can see past that to like the fruits of the thing they're talking about, whether it's an external education or, you know, like 
Disney Institute and stuff. I can see the fruits of something really big and I'll be like, you know what? I'm still going to engage with that because there's something that worked for them that I can pick up. And I feel like if people could just somehow step away from the, the like the f- step past the first two steps and be like, okay, what, what are they really, what did they really get out of it besides like liking it? Which is, I think a lot of times what people think for me is like, oh, he just likes it. He liked it a lot. He likes it. And what my perspective is, is I don't want to tell you what to get from it. I just know there's a lot of wisdom in it. And I want you to get it. You know, I don't want to teach you what I learned specifically. Well, part part of it. I think yeah, providing an example can be really powerful, though. You do it, need examples in the context of like you don't want to like guide their whole experience. But if you dropped like one or two things, or like this is what this is what I got out of this book. This is why I see it as valuable. I think yeah. that holds a lot of weight because you're a leader in the organization. Yeah. So it's not just it'll it'll just it actually just takes it out of that zone to where like Jared just thought it was fun. Right. Or whatever. Yeah. He made me read this book. I don't know why. And I don't know why. Right. Yeah. And I think just like one or two little whys would probably go far in like along selling that why. Yeah. Along why. <laughs> why? No, I feel you. It's a long why from home. And I think, I guess I'm an easier sell sometimes in that way because I believe in myself to, as a continuous learner, to pull something out of anything, whatever that is, even if it's like a small snippet. So like I'll listen to podcasts that I'm like, these people annoy me (laughs) two thirds of the time, but I also pull, I'm like, I know there's something in this podcast that I need to hear. And so I'll finish it out and I'll be like, man, that first 25 minutes was so stupid so rough but the yeah which maybe you feel like in some of our podcasts there's always nuggets there's there's a lot of different kinds of podcasts on but this then you channel. pull out a game-changing idea that you can sit on and write about and apply where are we going i think we were just talking about books and what's our time <laughs> frame right now well books. we got 40 minutes in oh wow books well i i just wanted to cap this off with yeah. one thing really quickly and maybe we will uh that's call, a great way call charles in just wait what was your book called though a little leaders it's called leaders myth, myth and, and reality, reality by general stanley mccrystal and the close-minded people will be like i don't read it because he was in the military and i'm like that's cool be like Go guess ahead, who man. else was in the military every other leader in the, what what <laughs> Every other founding <laughs> nation had a military. Oh, I don't know so what I'm saying. You somebody have a lot of asked. Questions. No, yeah. I have one that kind of ties into all of this stuff. And Tell someone me. asked, and it was supposed to be for myself and James Hoffman. So sorry, I switched people on you. But they asked, how can I get my employees to care about personal development? And I think mm. part of what I'm being like, you know, activated by what we just talked about is well, one, you have to care about it yourself. You're, they're looking to you for an example for everything that they do. So right. if you're not interested and if you're not sharing that with them, you can't really expect them to care. Two, I think they need a place to exercise what they're learning. It can't be like what you're saying, whereas people just read a book right. and are like, cool. Now I'm reading a book, right? They, they need like an avenue to practice and to exercise the new concepts and to converse about it. Yeah. 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 And they need resources, not necessarily monetary, by the way, but even just direction, you know, which is, I guess what we've been talking about a lot is these books and how they affect us, but point them in their correct directions. No doubt. It's also hiring and being around people who are interested and self-motivated in some way, shape or form, which goes all the way back to you as a company or your, your, is your company and your values or your interview process and making sure that you're 
implementing questions that allow people to speak to their own motivations when it comes to learning or personal development or being taught or just drive in general. If you find somebody who's open and willing to move forward, sometimes it's not at first moving forward in terms of personal development. Sometimes it's like, I just want to help build something huge and I'm willing to work and do whatever it takes. And then part of that for you is to be the leader and be like, okay, well, part of what it takes is personal development in some of these areas. And then they're like, oh, they're willing already. And you know that. So there, there is some complexity to it, but you do have to be around the right people. You, not everybody wants to develop, unfortunately. A lot of people are fine <laughs> in <laughs> their minds. I'm here, man. And unfortunately for you, if you want them to be something that they're not, it'll, it'll ultimately cause a lot of friction. That's hard. Baller. I thought that was a really good, good I question. I thought that was a really good question. And I think... We attacked it throughout the whole episode unknowingly yeah. and it was kind of on my mind. So No, I think that's really good. And being able to write in or plan for personal development as like portions of your trainings, they don't have to be the whole focus of the training, but I think portions of the trainings, you can sneak in personal development all over the place. And hopefully the idea about your company is that people come out of it better equipped for their future. Which yeah. is basically means your whole company should be involved with personal development in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, you've kind of grazed over something that I think could be its own episode. We which should probably should, and that. like maybe get Kristen in here to talk about it too. But hell like, yeah, get what, Kristen. Whatever education you have, if it's one dimensional, it's not going to be as effective as it otherwise could be. Example: If you're teaching someone how to make espresso, if you're teaching someone how to make a pour over, if you're teaching someone guest service techniques, there needs to be layers to that lesson because they shouldn't. Just just be learning about one thing. No. You can learn about leadership and guest services in the context of an espresso training. Like it all needs to come together and over time those things will kind of pile up and lead to like a better understanding or a more complete yep. person behind the counter. I can't touch on it anymore now nope, because we're, 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 we're going to go on we're going to go over time and we're going to we got to call Charles actually. We got to call Charles. Kristen Hudson, you have officially been called out for the hundredth time to be on the podcast, but Tag. now you really have to be on it. So <laughs> get ready because we will schedule you to be on it. <laughs> Compliance will be rewarded. <laughs> Compliance will be rewarded. Okay, bye. Okay, see you. The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. They make coffee brewers. Ever heard of them? If you haven't, you should. They're an awesome family-owned company. They're here in California. They power their facility with solar power, which I hear that's like a new hot thing that progressive people do. The best thing about Curtis, in my humble opinion, is the turnaround time on the brewers. They have a 24 hour turnaround. It's phenomenal. If you've ever ordered a brewer for a wholesale client from someone else and waited and waited and waited for it to come in, you know how frustrating that is. So being able to get the brewer next day like that is absolutely Amazing. Shout out to you, Wilbur Curtis. Their customer service is phenomenal. And they just care. They care about you. They care about me. And I care about them. And that's why Cat and Cloud Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. Wilbur Curtis.